Put another on. My prediction, can I say my prediction? Is that okay? My prediction is the first Sunday in July, we will have no more of the shenanigans. Can I get an amen? That didn't feel authentic, did it? Okay. All right. Uh, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, just a reminder of where we've been, or if you have, uh, have missed a couple of Sundays here, we entered a new section at the beginning of chapter 11, uh, dealing with worship in general and corporate worship specifically. So uh, as we worship together, what exactly should that look like? And, and we're going to get more and more into that as we go here. Uh, 12, 13, and 14 are kind of all one kind of thought uh, or various thoughts, I guess, in one big theme. And what we looked at the last couple of weeks is this understanding that we, as the church, we are a corporate body. And so when we think about that is when we worship God, we don't just come so that I can worship God and this becomes an individual vertical act, but that we as the church, we are worshiping together. And so we need to honor our brothers and sisters. And how, Paul says, how can we have hate or resentment or anger or judgment towards our brother and sister and then yet be worshiping God at the same time? He says, you can't do that. And so you need to care for one another. And so we looked at a couple of specific issues, uh, and then now we deal with this new section. What is, how many of you have a little head, heading above chapter 12? What does it say? Spiritual gifts. Okay, now let me just clarify this. Carefully, carefully, we're going to clarify this. Uh, spiritual gifts is maybe not the best way to interpret these verses. And, and that might sound strange to you, but I'll explain as we go through here. But when we think about spiritual gifts, maybe you think about that little questionnaire that you did one time, right? Like fill out the little questions, then this is your spiritual gift. Ah, now I know my spiritual gift. I'm good, and then I live my life that way. And I think that's a very poor and possibly even unbiblical way to look at the ways in which God has gifted us for the service of his body. So we're going to try and look at this in a slightly different context. But just before we get into it, I also want to say this, is I had a number of meetings this last week with a few different pastors and with our AGC, uh, local, well, actually our AGC Alberta gathering as well on Zoom and we were discussing things, and, and it just hit me again fresh that God's providence, as we have gone through this last, let's say, maybe two years, has been amazing. When we started, uh, about two years ago, we started going through First Peter, and then we ended up in First Peter at this place of, okay, submit to your authorities when life gets messy and hard and difficult, and then what happens? Now our authorities are telling us things we don't like. Push comes to shove, and we have to start deciding, am I going to live biblically, or am I just going to accept some things that are in Scripture and not others? And I felt that we were really well prepared for some of that. And then going through uh, COVID the last number of, well, 16 months, is we started to enter into this book of 1 Corinthians and starting to realize that it's not about my rights, and I need to actually suppress my own rights because the good of the brothers and sisters around me, that's what's more important. And so my desires, my wants, what I think I deserve, those should all become secondary issues, and I should be looking at others and going, how can I serve and care for and love? And so it just felt like, man, this is really, really providential. And then we get to this place, chapter 12, 13, and 14. We're going to start to look at the way in which we are called to minister to one another in the local body, in the assembly of the church. 
just as God is opening up doors, and it appears to be that in a few weeks we'll be more and more and more together. And I was out for a walk with somebody on Thursday night in the rain. Don't know why I did that. But we're walking, and he was chatting with me, and, and, and we were going back and forth on a few things, and something occurred to me is that we have a great opportunity right now as we come back together as the church the next number of weeks to be even more biblical in our understanding of what the church is, and we're going to study that over the next couple of weeks. How can we be a community of authentic people who love and care for one another? Where we can be a family where we know that people will pray for us, where people will help us, where where people will hold us accountable to the way that we've declared that we want to live. Well, as we come back, my my hope, and, and so you sitting here, you guys watching at home, is my challenge to you is as you begin to come back and as we begin to grow back to kind of a more normal size, that we would be anything but normal like we were before COVID. But that we would go, man, how can we really, really love one another? Not just this a place to be where we come on Sunday because we think we should come on Sunday or because we know that church is something we should do and so we come. But how can we start to say, man, I want to care for the members of this church. I want to care for those in my family. I want to love them and I want to send them on their way into their week with encouragement and challenge so that they can minister effectively the grace of Jesus to those that they encounter. Now, all of those answers, none of them are new things. I think they're just, let's really consider how we can be intentional in doing that over these next weeks. And I'm so excited to go through these verses as we prepare for them. So here's, here's a, a summary of these first 11 verses in chapter 12. Uh, Alan Johnson writes it this way. He says, Paul is seeking to bring the disorderly and self-centered worship practices of the Corinthians under control so that the church as a whole may be built up. How can we possibly build the church up if we're only concerned with me, my gifts, my value to God, my worship? When we start talking about Christianity in that sense, we lose a huge aspect of what it is. Yes, your relationship with Jesus is a very personal relationship, but it's not only a personal relationship. It's also a corporate experience. That as we come together and as we work together, as we learn together, as we minister together, as we look out into the community and go, man, how can we as Banff Park Church serve our community? That's what worship is about. That's what our community is meant to be. Not only, though this is part of it, not only our own individual times with the Lord through prayer and scripture, though that is vitally important. But what we've seen, and and, and I hope what you've seen over these last 16 months is, is, let me say this as simply as I can, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I can't. I'm not meant to. Right? We talk about this lots. As Adam is created and God says, it's not good that he's alone. I'm going to create somebody else here so that there's community. And so we, as we get excited about coming back together, is may we think about this in the context of our church, what we can do to honor God and so we can serve the community so that others can see it and go, man, I don't know what that church has. I don't know what they, I need that because I know that I need you. So let's read these verses together. Verses 1 to 11 of chapter 12, Paul writes this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit of utterance of, sorry, the let me try that again. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the, imp- in, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I forgot. Let's pray before we get into this. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these words that we have just read. And as we seek to understand them better, as we seek to be a community of authentic believers who want to love you and serve you and and love and serve each other, God, would you give us the strength and the courage to step out and do these things? Would you give our hearts the wisdom that we need to understand what we're going to look at now. Amen. So, Paul starts, interesting. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. Now, remember, right, he's just kind of clarified a couple of, you know, first in the beginning of chapter 11 was, okay, I commend you because you're following some of the traditions, but I need to clarify a few points. And then he goes into the Lord's Supper where there's no commendation. I think that's a word, right? Uh, but he starts to get very aggressive. Shayla said that I almost became angry preacher man last week, and I apologize for that if that's how it came across. I was simply trying to look at it from this context of Paul is being aggressive to his hearers, to the readers of this, and saying, this is wrong. And sometimes, myself included, I don't really like conflict, and so we kind of skirt around it a little bit. The reality is, he's saying, you need to change. This is completely wrong. And then, and then he just shifts gears. Now concerning spiritual gifts. So there's obviously some kind of a question that they had, if we remember back over the course of these 11 chapters, is there's various times where Paul's addressed specific questions that they wrote to him or that were verbally taken uh, by somebody to Paul. We're not exactly sure what the question is here or if it's a clarification needed, but we do know that they were kind of missing the boat. He says, I, want, I do not want you to be uninformed. The implication being what? They are uninformed. You, you don't understand this. Now, now, again, we don't know the exact uh, issues going on, but Donald Pryor in his commentary helps us as he steps back and looks at it from a cultural standpoint. And he says that they, the Corinthians had grown accustomed to supernatural or demonic forces through states of trance ecstasy and other kinds of supernatural experiences, and that these types of experiences proved who was more spiritual. That was the culture in which they had come out of. And so when you read through, and we're not going to because we don't have time for this morning, but we'll see this over the next few weeks, 12, 13, and 14, is you start to see that there, were, there was a desperation in almost all of those in the Corinthian church that they would have a very specific gift because that gift, that showed that I was spiritual. 
That showed that I was mature, and, and specifically, that gift was the gift of tongues. Now, unfortunately, you're going to be sad. We're not going to deal with that yet this week. We're going to get there. Uh, those of you who want to have that conversation, maybe there's some of you that really don't and go, oh dear, this is going to get messy. But I promise it won't, at least not this morning anyway. But prior shows us that this was their desire. They wanted to have some kind of a, my gift shows how spiritual I am so that I have some kind of authority. And isn't that just the way that we are as people? We always want the meaningful. We always want, I, I, I want to be valued. And that is good and a godly desire only so long as that value comes from whom? from God, not from man, right? And so what Paul's trying to tell them over the next few chapters here is going to be that your spiritual gifts are primarily used first to glorify God and second to edify your brothers and sisters. If it becomes about you and elevating yourself, then you've missed the whole point. Now, I mean, that's, that's the Christian life in a nutshell, isn't it? But how often do we start to get consumed with my life and, and we start to filter out other things, other people, other situations, and we start to get so consumed with our own issues that we're like, God, where are you? What are you possibly doing? And we, and we lose sight of the bigger picture. So that's what Paul's trying to clarify here. I don't want you to be uninformed because you're so focused on yourself. I want you to be focused on the body. And in verse 7, he says it to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. In other words, for the good of the body. For all of us. My gift, if it's used only for me and my relationship with God, is a waste of a gift. It's meant to be for all of us so that we would grow together. So he clarifies, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. Anybody have a different translation? Oh, please, somebody have a different translation. Instead of mute, does it say something different? Oh, there's a few translations that say dumb idols. And we know what they mean when we translate it mute, but I just love the translation. You followed after dumb idols. <laughs> That's not how I read it when I first read it. I was like, dumb idols. I didn't know idols could be dumb. But obviously that's what he's saying, right? Is, think about this. You were led to mute idols, however you're led. Therefore, I want you to say that no one's speaking in the spirit. Now he's making a contrast. The idols that you worship are made by man. And they might have a mouth, but they can't speak. They can't get you to do anything. They have no authority or power over you. But when you come to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he begins to lead, direct, guide, and he starts to speak for you. So do you see the contrast here? Is Before you were led, however you were led, in these kind of ways, but they, it wasn't real. And so he says, therefore... No one speaking in the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. Now, clarification, right? People try to use verses like this to say, well, obviously that's wrong because anybody could just say those words. But just read it carefully and you see that his point is what? No one can say these words and mean it, right? Nobody who has the Holy Spirit in them can ever say Jesus is accursed because they recognize that it's only through Jesus that they're saved. Nobody, unless they have the Spirit, can actually say that Jesus is Lord because those who don't know that Jesus is Lord don't have the Spirit in them and the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed that to them yet. We talk about this lots, but when we minister to people, we can, we can just present the gospel with them just completely, perfectly 
where we think there's no way they could argue with anything I've just said, and yet they miss it. And sometimes we can explain to them where we feel like we fumbled over everything and we weren't real clear, and somehow the Holy Spirit goes, I am real, and they go, man, I need that. Because it's not about us. It's about him and what he is doing. And yes, we are vessels to be used and we can be obedient or disobedient, but I think of it in this context as we get to be used by God. It's not me that's important. It's that I'm just submitting to what God's doing and I get to be a part of that. Verses 4 and 5 say, there's a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. What he's getting at here, and again, we kind of briefly touched on this, is they want, many of them want the gift of tongues specifically, or perhaps another one. But they want one specific gift. And Paul's trying to say, hang on, there's many gifts. But they all come from the same spirit, and so they all have value. They all are important. In fact, he's about to say later on in chapter 12 that every single one of them is needed within the body. And so if you and your gift, if you think of it this way, you come into a church and, and you become part of it, but you're not serving, is you are actually robbing the church of the very thing that God has called because he needs, or I shouldn't say he needs, we need your service in the church with how God has gifted you. That's, that's the role, is that all of us come together and we go, it's not about just sitting back and, and being ministered to, it's about becoming part of a, unfortunately sometimes, messy family where we don't always get it right. But we work together for the common good, again, he says that, right? So, so varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Sorry, that was really slow, but that was intentional. Empowers them all in everyone. He's simply saying this is every single person who is a believer has been equipped and has been empowered by the Holy Spirit uniquely for service. There's not some that get gifts and some that don't, but anybody who becomes a Christian, anybody who declares Jesus as Lord is then given gifts for the greater good of the community. It's not about the elite. It's not about those who are super spiritual and so they get something. It's all of us, regardless of how long you've been a Christian or how short you've been a Christian, how mature you are or how immature you are. So before we get into the various gifts here, I got to make some clarifications because depending on the culture in which you grew up in the church traditions that you grew up, you may understand some of these very differently. And I just want to try and challenge some of that. But first, we have to go back to verse 1 for this. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, anyone have a little, uh, little footnote in the word gifts there? If you have a literal translation, you will. Anybody? Nobody's got a little translation in front of them. Excellent. Okay, no problem. You just have to believe me. But you can go home and check this for yourself. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, it actually, uh, the, the word gifts is added later in English based on the context of the verses. Now, it's not a wrong or a bad translation, but it probably is a little bit misleading because the actual Greek more resembles this. Concerning spiritual persons. The focus is not on the gift. The focus is on that as you come to faith that Christ empowers you and you become a spiritual person with spiritual giftings to give out. 
And so the focus is not on the individual gift, but on the person. And I'll explain why that is important in just a minute here. But, uh, okay, there's two main categories that churches fall into when they start to interpret passages like this. There's Romans 1, there's Romans 12, there's, uh, there's various, in Peter, in Ephesians, there's various spiritual gift passages. Um, depending on the church, you either fall into one of these two broad categories. One is a sensationist and one is a continuationist. Who has never heard those terms before? Excellent. I don't know if you'll remember them after this. Uh, cessationist and creationist. So l- let me just clarify this. A cessationist is someone who believes that the supernatural revelation has ceased. That God only communicates to us through the word of God. That's the scriptures. This group claims that things like prophecy, tongues, healing, and miracles no longer happen and were only given to the apostles. And once the, apost- once the apostolic age finished, those gifts were no longer given out. So that's the cessationist. Um, I'm just going to jump ahead here. I don't fit either group, just so you know. I'm somewhere in the middle of this, and I'll explain this in a minute. But one of the reasons is because I think the cessationists, a lot of them look at this from, I don't understand these ones. These are tough. This is difficult. Just easier to pretend like they're not given anymore, and then I don't have to deal with them. I remember being in Bible college, and it was like, there, there were a few questions you could ask where you knew the rest of the class was just a write-off, and then you could just have a little nap if you wanted to. Not that that's what I did, but one could. And they would say, right, like, like oh, what do you think about the gift of tongues? And then half the class is like, that's it, we're done. Because depending on who you grew up or which group you grew up in, it could be either like really pro, really for it, and want to fight for it, and then some really against it and terrified to even talk about it. Uh, within cessationists, there is a broader category, okay? So it's not just that they just, nothing. Some of them are open to the ideas, but uncertain of how. A continuationist is one that believes that all the gifts that are given in all these various passages continue in today's church. Within this group of people, there's an even broader category, or sorry, broader, what's the right way to say that? You know what I mean. There's a broad view of this. Some who will say that God gives new and divine revelation apart from Scripture. That's one extreme. And on the other extreme, they say no new divine revelation is given, but that all of these gifts are used today in the church. If I had to put myself somewhere, that's where I would be. I don't think God gives new, I don't think, I know from Scripture that God does not give new divine revelation. I cannot come up here and say, God has told me that you are all to make my house three stories tall, right? And people do that. We see that, right? Where people will abuse the power that they have uh, or, or perceived power that they have as a leader in the church and they'll say, God has spoken to me, so you have to follow. Well, What does Paul teach about prophecy in New Testament? Test every word that comes from a prophet's mouth. So what Paul assumes is that those who are given the gift of prophecy, and I'll defend that in a minute, are not infallible like they were in the Old Testament. Right? In the Old Testament, they were speaking on behalf of God. In the New Testament, a prophet is is speaking the words of God. There's a difference. We'll get there in a few minutes. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of myself. 
One of the reasons I don't think cessationism is a, is a proper view of it is, is just think of the context. Okay, Paul is right. He's gone and planted this church in Corinth. He's then left the church and he's gone on to some other missionary journeys. A report has come to him. Letter has been written. He's responding to these things. But Paul is at the very end of the apostolic age. So why would he then write about all these gifts and clarify to them and say to them, even though there's no apostles in your midst, here are the gifts of the Spirit. It just doesn't make sense to me. Why would Paul prepare them for something that's not coming? So I think these gifts do exist. I, I think they've been used and abused in many traditions so that people who are on the conservative end go, I just don't even like the fact of how abusive this has become, so I'm just going to step back and say it's easier to say it just doesn't exist. But I think then we're doing the same thing but reverse and going, what God has said isn't true. And I think that's just as dangerous. So I find myself somewhere in this ambiguous middle place, and I'm not really sure how to define some of these things really well, but we're going to do our best as we go through this. I remember reading a story um, this week about George Mueller. Does anybody know who George Mueller was? Uh, he was a pretty neat missionary uh, in England, um, had a, an orphanage of just thousands of kids, uh, and, and never once did he get funding for, or request funding for that. He just simply said, I'm just going to trust God, and God's going to take care of this. And God did through miraculous means. Really, really amazing story of his life, if you have uh, a chance to read about him. But I remember reading this one story where he was praying something, and, and uh, he was on a boat, and there was a captain there, and the captain was trying to navigate through some fog. It was very thick fog, and George Mueller says to him, Captain, you need, you need to pray for this. It turns out the captain is a Christian, and he kind of had a different view on this than George Mueller. And so George Mueller just dropped on his knees, prayed right there, and the captain thought, man, I, sh I guess I should pray too, right? Somebody prays, it's my turn to pray next. And he's about to, and George Mueller basically says, don't even bother because I know you don't believe what you're about to say. Very bold words. I'm not suggesting that you go around speaking like this. But he does this, and the captain opens his eyes, and there's no more fog. It's just completely gone within that long. I don't know how to quantify that, right? Like, sometimes it's easy when, when we think of, like, gifts of miracles, it's sometimes easy to scientifically come up with some kind of rationale for why certain things happened the way they did, and then there's sometimes we just don't know how to deal with it. Many of you who have had family um, that perhaps have gotten sick with something like cancer. And you've had an experience where the doctor has said, you have this long to live, and they come out of it. And they go, I can't find cancer anymore. I don't know what happened. There are miracles that happen in today's world. I don't know how to quantify that. I don't know what nice, neat, little organized box to put that in. Except that it says here that there are workings of miracles. And so all I'm trying to say is that as we approach this text, regardless of what tradition we've come from, let's try and recognize these are the very words of God written to us so that we would understand how we are to act within the context of the local church. So some of these things that will maybe make us uncomfortable doesn't mean that they're wrong. So let's look at them briefly here. To each one is given for the common good. We already talked about that. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. All right. I'm going to quote one of my friends here, and I got a, his name is Marty, if he ever watches this. He gets uh, a shout out for this. 
He explained this to me best once. He said, knowledge, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. What is it? He says, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Technically, right? Wisdom is knowing that a tomato does not go in a fruit salad. Wisdom versus knowledge, right? One is an understanding of things, and one is a practical using of that understanding so that. Anyone want to go home and have a nice fruit salad with tomatoes in it today, like, right? Like, we wouldn't do that. Now, they sometimes are tied together, sometimes they aren't. Some have a unique uh, ability given to them in which God works and, and, and they just seem to just absorb knowledge. They read something and they just know it. They see something and they can do it. It doesn't necessarily make that person wise. It, they may or they may not be. On, on the flip side is many of you probably can look back on your life and know someone who is incredibly wise and lived their life with great deep godly wisdom and yet was not very educated and maybe didn't have a great amount of knowledge. So are they different? Yes. Are they tied together? Sometimes. To another, the gift of faith. Okay, now here's, we've got to clarify. The gift of faith. Aren't we all supposed to have faith? So then what's the gift of faith versus having faith? Sometimes people will look at this and try and make it say what it does not say. The gift of faith, it leads its way out in this, and we simply, we all know this, is all of us have people in our sphere of influence, people that we know, that we trust, that we love, some of them that deeply trust God no matter what, and some of us that maybe don't have as quite as much. That doesn't mean that we don't have saving faith. That doesn't mean that we don't believe that God can or that God will. It means that some people just, you cannot rock it out of them. Well, the Bible speaks to that in Hebrews chapter 11, doesn't it? What do we call that section of the Bible? We call it like the heroes of faith or the hall of faith or, you know, those types of things. Is it, the writer of Hebrews looks back and shows some of these individuals who had extraordinary faith that no matter the difficulty or the obstacle they went through, they just believed. But then the New Testament is filled, the Old Testament too, but the New Testament is filled with people who lack belief. How often does Jesus say to his disciples, do you still not get it? Like, do you not believe yet? So we're not talking about saving faith. We're talking about God has given some people this deep just conviction that God will do what God's going to do. And, and some people look at that and they go, that's naivety. Naivety. I don't know how to say that word. But they look at it with that context. Frankly, I want that gift. I just know God has got this. I don't have to worry. I just said we shouldn't want gifts. Okay, anyway, we'll clarify some of those things in a minute here. Um, then we have, uh, so faith, and then we have the gifts of healing by the one spirit. Now, in this, a lot of questions come out in my mind, but one of them, I was listening to a sermon by John Piper, and he was addressing some of these things. And a question was brought up is, is, are you given just one gift? Are you given two or three gifts? Are you given one predominant gift and like a couple of secondary gifts? Are you given one gift for a specific time and then that changes over the course of your life, et cetera, et cetera? And I think his focus on this was that is the exact wrong way to look at it because then our focus is on us again, not on God. His 
comment to us is that we step back and we recognize that it is God who equips for service for the good of the body. And so whatever the good of the body is needed, God will equip various people at various times to do various things. Sometimes I think, like, we all have natural abilities for various things, right? Like, if, you, uh, if your car breaks down, don't ask me to come fix it. That is not going to end well, right? You ask Mr. Tarchuk to fix that. That'll go much, much better. Right? There are certain things that you just know. However, that being said, is, and especially this becomes true in often little churches where we just don't have all the gifts that we need to have to accomplish the various work that God has called us to, and we just faithfully go, God, I believe you are calling me to this, and so I will step out. And even though you have no gifts in that area, it succeeds, and it works, and the ministry flourishes. It's because we're simply saying yes to God and not yes to ourselves. The second we start to trust on our own abilities, right? If, if somebody were to come up and say, man, you should serve in this area because you are so gifted here. And we go, yeah, I am. I'm going to rock this. I got it. What inevitably happens? It falls apart and we go, how could it possibly fall apart? I'm good at this. Because it's not about us. Our focus has gotten lost. And so Piper says to step back from that. But another thing he clarified for me that was really helpful is he said, in the gifts of healing. So who has the gifts of healing? And, and does someone who has the gift of healing always heal, right? That becomes the question. And that becomes a question because we live in this time where there are people that call themselves what? Faith healers. You go to the faith healer, you're made well. Unfortunately, again, most of that is not about God, but about the individual. Man, that person, they can heal me. Never in Scripture do we read that kind of a context, do we? We read somebody who goes, in the name of Jesus, walk. In the name of Jesus, receive your sight. And so Piper talks about it this way. Paul clearly has the gift of healing, right? So uh, Eustace falls out of the window because Paul's preaching such a long sermon in the book of Acts, right? Falls out the window. I don't know if that's exactly why. But he falls out the window, and he lands on the ground, and he dies. And what does Paul do? He raises him from the dead. Does that seem like a gift of healing? I think so. Another man that can't walk grabs Paul, and Paul says, pick up your mat and walk. Okay, he gets up and he walks. Does that seem like a work of healing? I think so. Another person who can't see, and Paul restores his sight to him. And so you start to think, man, Paul could do all. In fact, Paul, people wanted to like, whether it was Peter or whether it was Paul, those two specifically, they like wanted to like touch a piece, of, a piece of his clothing or like be in the presence of his shadow because they knew they would be healed in those moments because there was so much of what was of Jesus radiating off of them. But then again, what Piper showed is that there's many times where Paul doesn't heal and sometimes where he asks and he can't. The best example being where he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh. And what does God say to him? Do you remember? My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, you're going to deal with this the rest of your life, but I'm going to be here with you. You're not going to get better, but I'm going to walk through this with you. Paul writes to Timothy, um, Timothy, you have so many physical ailments. We talked about this when we preached through 1 Timothy. You have so many physical ailments, you, you need to take a little wine for your stomach because you just can't deal. Obviously, he hadn't been healed. There's, in fact, there's more, as Piper walked through this, he showed there are more examples where healing doesn't happen in the life of Paul with some of his people that he ministers with and to than when he does. 
And so it just becomes this thing again of it's, it's not, it's don't let a gift, right? Like uh, God has healed someone through me in that one moment. Don't start to think that's now what defines me because that's the wrong way to think of it. Praise the Lord that God heals sometimes when he heals the way he does. Praise the Lord that you might get to be somebody who, who is the meteor of that in that moment where you get to see the healing and, and you get to experience that it happened partly because you were faithful to what God called you to do, but may you never take credit for that. Because the credit is not for you, it's for God. And so when we start to think about things like the gifts of healing or miracles, and I don't really know how to differentiate those two real well, uh, they seem to kind of overlap to me uh, often, is, is recognizing this is not about me, but this is about what God is doing. This is about his power and not mine. So he says, to another, uh, the gift of prophecy, to another, uh, I'm intentionally going to skip some of these because we're going to deal with them at length in the coming chapters. Uh, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. We're going to talk about prophecy specifically, we're going to talk about tongues specifically, and a lot over the next few weeks. So uh, <laughs> tune in for that. But as he writes these lists, he finishes by saying this, all of these are empowered by who? By one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God chooses how he's going to use us. The question is simply this, is, am I going to be obedient to that and let him do it? Or am I going to fight it and resist it? When we think of when somebody comes to us and says, hey man, would you consider serving the church in this way? The first thought should not be, do I have abilities in that? But God, are you calling me to that? Right? We, we say it this way, is God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. He will equip you for what he is calling you. And so we need to step back and not go, man, do I just have gifts there? I think we should ask that question. I think that's a, that's a reasonable question that is just good stewardship. But we should ask first the question of God, what are you calling of me? Would you have me step in and lead this ministry? Would you have me do these things that make me very uncomfortable? I'm going to pick on Lori just for just a moment. Because Lori does a wonderful job when she comes up here to do announcements. But, and I thought she kind of liked it and enjoyed it because she was willing to do it. And I remember emailing her one time being like, you know, Ernie's gone and Lee's gone. And so would you be willing to do it this week? And, and she said, I'll be willing to do whatever you ask me. I just don't like any of it. I think that might be a slight mis misinterpretation, Lori. Sorry. But basically what I got out of it was it doesn't matter what you ask me. If God is calling me to do it, I will do it. And praise the Lord, Lori, that you have faith to do that. Some of us do, like, the last thing you want to be doing is standing up here on stage talking to anybody. That doesn't mean I'm saying you all should. But it does mean you should ask God, do you want me to? Maybe you sit here and go, man, I do not want to work in Sunday school. That is not my thing. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe that's okay. But you should ask. God, where are you asking me to be involved? What do you want me to do? Now again, remember this comes all in the context of there are various gifts, but all of them are necessary for the common good of the church. And so if we're just sitting here and not being involved in the life of the local body of the church, we're not being the church. We're just showing up. And that's not what God has called us to do. 
in that sermon that I was listening to from John Piper, he, he explained it this way. He was talking about how these gifts of healing or the gifts of miracles and, and, and people seeking, I want that, I want to see that. He said it this way. I feel like the greatest need in my life is not so much to get the gift of healing, but to care that people are sick. That hit me like a ton of bricks this week. The focus should be saying, God, would you open my eyes to see what I need to see? How are we going to be compassionate towards people that need to be ministered to if we're too busy to see it? Our prayer should be, God, would you show me what is happening in the local body? Would you show me where you want me to step in? And then would we say, yes, I'll do it. Maybe you have gifts in that area. Great. Maybe you don't. That's good too. Because don't for one second think that God can't use you in some strange, crazy way. Our men's ministry went through the book of Judges and we came across this very interesting character of Gideon. Man, I mean this in the most Christianly loved way I can, but man, was he useless sometimes. Like, no, I will not, God. No, I will not. Okay, if you're going to, then let me. Like, he barters with God like nobody in Scripture. And so just a real quick rabbit trail, just because it's Greg's pet peeve now. Never use the expression, I threw it to God as a fleece, in some kind of a positive way. The whole point of that is that Gideon doesn't believe that God's going to do what he's going to do, but God is gracious. And he says, okay, Gideon, okay, okay. okay. But it's not, a, it's not like a good job, Gideon. Way to throw that fleece. It was actually no bad. Just, just trust that God's going to do what God's going to do. When we focus on what we can't do, what I'm unable to do, where my giftings aren't, we really limit what God wants to do. Like, just imagine Jesus walking around with the 12 disciples, and the 12 disciples, he picked them all because those 12 had everything that was needed for ministry to succeed. I don't think so. You read through Scripture and you find out that they were what? Dropouts, failures, cheats, right? All the problems were the issue. And God says, I'm just going I'm, I'm to take these men and I'm going to show that I can use anybody to literally change the world. That should give us all kinds of hope and encouragement. It doesn't matter how gifted I think that I am. It doesn't matter... How, Sometimes we look at it from a context of, man, that person is so gifted. But that's only their own strength. And their own strength isn't going to work. The Holy Spirit's strength is. And so rather than looking at others and going, man, they're so gifted and I'm not, is, is pray this, God, thank you that you have equipped me for the work of your ministry. For whatever it is today. And it'll probably change in five years, ten years. It'll change when you go from one community to the next community. You'll still have abilities. You'll still have talents. It's not like everything gets switched. But the point being is that instead of looking at these as, and I'm going back here to verse one now, instead of defining them as gifts that are given to us, but recognizing that we are spiritual persons, that God is qualifying to live as spiritual people for his kingdom. So in the coming weeks, as we deal more specifically with some of these uh, spiritual gifts, I'm just going to struggle 
saying those things back and forth over and over. But as we talk about these, is, is my hope and my prayer is that we start to step back from thinking about them the way that we've probably always thought about them and taking a spiritual gift questionnaire to go, ah, this is where I should serve. And again, I'm not trying to belittle those. I think some of those things are helpful because they show our passions and they show where we're excited. And it's always good to serve in something that you are passionate about. That's good. But the first question always should be, God, what are you calling me to do? Not, God, what am I good at so I should get involved with? Where is your call in my life, God? And so as we begin to come back together and more and more of us come back together, we're going to talk about the body and its members and that imagery next week. As we think about these things more and more, my hope and my prayer is that as we come back that we go, man, I want to serve Jesus in this body. How can I do that? Many of you, and I am so thankful for you, many of you have been serving in about 1,300 different ways this year. And I'm so grateful for it. Now the awkward challenge. Some of you perhaps have not. Will you be willing to allow God to use you for his kingdom, for his glory, for his honor, so that our church would grow? And I don't, I don't mean numerically as much as I mean in our own hearts and in our own relationship with Jesus. So that we can be vessels used by him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text this morning. And we're just just scratching the surface. And God, I haven't even really explained any of what these giftings really mean. But God, I pray that as we go through these next weeks that we would think in our own minds, in our own hearts, God, where are you calling me to serve? God, help us to recognize that if we have confessed Jesus as Lord, that that means we have been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is at work within us so that we could edify the church, so that we could bring you glory. And as we, as we unite together in common purpose, it'll just scream to the world of your goodness. And so God, I pray that as in these next few weeks, that as we start to be able to gather more and more together, that it wouldn't just be something that we do because we always have, but because we need each other. God, help us to not rely on our own strength. Help us to not think of faith as some kind of an individualistic journey, but help us to look at it far broader than that. Thank you for what you are doing in the lives of each of these people that are represented here in the building and those watching at home. God, would you be at work in their hearts and show them what you have called them to. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you're doing. Help us to remember over and over, it's not about me, it's about you. May you receive the glory and honor from us. Go with us now. Amen.